the word of our Lord from the prophet Isaiah. Hear, O heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord has spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its owner, and the donkey its master's crib, but Israel does not know. My people do not consider. Alas, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a brood of evildoers, people, children who are corruptors. They have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked to anger the Holy One of Israel. They have turned away backward. Why should you be stricken again? You will revolt more and more. The whole head is sick. The whole heart faints. From the sole of the foot even to the head, there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed or bound up or soothed with ointment. Your country is desolate. Your cities are burned with fire. Strangers devour your land in your presence. And it is desolate, is overthrown by strangers. O daughter of Zion, she is left as a booth in a vineyard, as a hut in a garden of cucumbers, as a besieged city. Unless the Lord of hosts had left us a very small remnant, we would have become like Sodom. We would have been made like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough with your burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, the callings of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons, your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear, for your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, You shall eat the good of the land, but if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. How the faithful city has become a harlot. It was full of justice, righteousness lodged in it, but now murderers. Your silver has become dross, your wine mixed with water. Your princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loves bribes and follows after rewards. They do not defend the fatherless, nor does the cause of the widow come before them. Therefore, the Lord says, the holy, the the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel. Ah, I will rid myself of my adversaries and take vengeance on my enemies. I will turn my hand against you and thoroughly purge away your dross and take away all your alloy. 
I will restore your judges as at the first and your counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, you shall be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. Zion shall be redeemed with justice and her penitence with righteousness. The destruction of transgressors and sinners shall be together, and those who forsake the Lord shall be consumed. For they shall be ashamed of the terebinth trees which you have desired, and you shall be embarrassed because of the gardens which you have chosen. For you shall be as a terebinth whose leaf fades, and as a garden that has no water. The strong shall be as tender, and the work of it as a spark. Both will burn together, and no one shall quench them. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, said concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come and let us walk in the house of the Lord. Father, bless the reading of your holy word and bless us as hearers of it. And may we walk in your light as we hear from you. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hope is not merely wishful thinking or simply unshakable optimism. That may be how the world typically thinks of hope. You know, just kind of hoping for the best. That unshakable spirit. No, what we as Christians know hope to be is a confident and reliable expectation. Even in the midst of uncertainty, even in the midst of transience, when things are moving, when the ground beneath our feet is shifting, we can have confident and reliable expectation that is rooted in the ground of God's faithfulness. He has always been faithful. Semper Fidelis. God is the one who originally said, Semper Fi, live or die. When most people talk about hope, they tend, we tend, to just be skimming the surface of what hope really is. I hope you're doing all right. I say that in a text to you. If I haven't seen you in a little while, hope you're doing all right. And it's not that this is not hope, but rather it's that hope is so much bigger and so much more life-giving than this. You know, you've got to be a bit hopeless 
for the offer of hope to really mean all that much to you. I remember the words of Chuck Colson echoing through the, the radio when I first heard them. Where is the hope? That question doesn't really make much sense without first having the desire for hope. Knowing what it is to be without hope. To know what it is to wish for hope and be in need of hope. There is no hope without first recognizing that you need hope. There is no resolution without there first being some measure of conflict. To say that Advent is a time of hope, that Jesus' birth, which we celebrate at Christmas, gives hope, we must first face that we are in a situation that needs hope and needs it terribly. That we are in the midst of conflict. That something is fundamentally and tragically wrong with the world as it is. Something is broken and needs to be fixed. Something is hurt and needs to be healed. Something is dead and needs to be resurrected. The scripture speaks of a fall, of human sin, of brokenness and death. We shy away from such subjects, assuming that if we simply ignore them, put them away, that they will just naturally go away. But the prophets Jeremiah and Ezekiel and the Apostle Paul in his first epistle to the Thessalonians warned against those who cry, Peace, peace, when there is no peace. We have been abruptly and rudely reminded over the course of the previous weeks that there is something fundamentally broken in our humanity. Newsmen are broken. Producers are broken. CEOs are broken. Celebrities are broken. Comedians are broken. Politicians are broken. Superstars are broken. Because humanity is broken. We are broken. Fortunate for us, God specializes in fixing what's broken. While the world offers disdain, cynicism, perhaps humor, how about a laugh? Apathy, fatalism, or even dismissal, nothing to see here. Everything's all right. The world offers these remedies in response to our brokenness, but the gospel offers hope and healing. But hope and healing will only come through repentance and reconciliation. We must first recognize our need and then turn to the only one who can meet it. 
John Wesley said, Know your disease, know your cure. As long as we live our lives insisting that there is no disease, that there is nothing fundamentally flawed with our humanity, that there is nothing broken in need of fixing, it will never be fixed. It can't be. It is impossible. And so God offers to us the only two things that can remedy the human condition. Repentance, which is hard to do and which we hate doing. And reconciliation, which is really the goal of repentance. I was wrong. I quit fighting. I laid down my arms. Will you please have me back? Cling to your sin, the word says, and make yourself to be God's enemy. May we never cling to what is destroying us. Deny it. Ignore it. Laugh it off. Shrug it off. Pretend it doesn't matter. We set ourselves up as God's enemies. But there's a problem that goes well beyond those who we see plastered on the television and printed in the pages of the newspaper. There's a problem even with the otherwise good guys. The rest of us. The guys that are trying to mind our own business and do the right thing. The prophet Isaiah painfully put his salty finger right on the tender wound. Half-heartedness and double-mindedness. And that half-heartedness and that double-mindedness leads to pride of heart and apathy for others. I have no need. I'm good. I've got this. I'm living my life pretty well. At least I'm not like him. At least I'm not that bad. After all, they're getting what they deserve. They asked for it. Karma's a dog. If we're not careful... The righteous, God's people, the people of Judah, those to whom Isaiah is writing as the prophet, God's very own covenantal people will slip into this half-heartedness and this double-mindedness and will find themselves just as contaminated by the brokenness of our humanity as the world is. But Christ came... To restore what was lost. He came to reconcile all things to the Father, the scriptures say. But we're too busy insisting that we have no need for restoration. That nothing has been lost. That everything's good. That everything's fine. If we can just get the markets back in the right direction and just maybe broker a deal here, a treaty there, Life's good. But Christ has made a way of redemption. 
The psalmist said, kiss the sun while you can. Jesus warned, reject me and you reject God who sent me. If you reject the remedy that the doctor, the great physician offers, you reject the physician and have nothing to do with him. That secular prophet penguin of Batman lore in the series Gotham said to Ed Nigma, you need to heal and healing is about moving on. No, healing is not about moving on. That suggests that mere progress will heal all wounds. But only repentance. Not progress. Only repentance will heal the wound of sin. C.S. Lewis said it's foolishness to call it progress when you keep heading in the same direction if, in fact, it's in the wrong direction. Progress would mean doubling around, going back where you came from and charting another path. That's progress. Real progress. And we live in a world that is hopeless. That's trying to find hope in directions that cannot give hope. That's scrambling. If we can just get this right, we'll be better. If we can just deal with that type of person, we'll be better. If we can put these people in their rightful place. If we can get this worked out. All we need is progress. No repentance. Nothing of reconciliation. Reconciliation with whom? With ourselves? Yeah, we need to feel better about ourselves. And so as the world races on in innumerable directions looking for hope because it is hopeless. Advent is about God interjecting a new direction. It is about the rightful Lord of the universe descending to this world and driving the flag of His kingdom into our earth and saying, this is mine. I have come to save it. And so we stand at a new beginning. This morning in the hallway, I don't think he meant it, but I put a nice theological and liturgical spin on it. Ransom said uh, to someone, Happy New Year. <laughs> and I said, I said uh, well, I guess New Year in that this is the beginning of a new year. This is the first Sunday of Advent. The church has begun a new liturgical year. This is the new year for the Christian faith. A new beginning. Following hard after where the Lord leads us. 
because he has planted his flag in our lives. In Advent, God does interject a new direction. And it is the direction of repentance. The direction of reconciliation. The prophet says, If you are but willing. You know, purging is painful. Scrubbing a wound. Boy, that's worse than the wound itself. I remember being a little kid and having a little cut. And, oh, the scrapes were the worst. I'd rather have a cut cleaned as a kid than a scrape, you know, on the concrete when you're riding your bike or your skateboard. Those boogers, they hurt bad. And a lot of it was in the head, you know, because the peroxide, it doesn't really burn. It just fizzes and, you know, makes you think it's hurting and gets cold. Some of these kids are having nightmarish reflections on recent injuries. But purging can be painful. Healing never comes easy. It's always a hard road and a hard path. You know, raising the dead always requires death. The dead aren't raised without death. Redemption is not cheap. It's costly. But He promises to purge us of our sin if we are willing. And that's what's in question. Are we willing? Do we really want it? Do we want a new start? Do we want a new hope? Have we come to the end of our hopelessness? To the point where we're willing to look to the one who offers hope. To say, Lord, what can you do about this brokenness? What can you do about this hurt? What can you do about this overwhelming sense of inadequacy and incompleteness? It's interesting that God offers hope not just from some other world. He doesn't just wave His magic wand and say, it's all right. I declare it to be so. It's done. God offers hope through drawing near. During this season, we'll sing songs, we'll say words, we'll pray prayers in which we'll use that term, Emmanuel. God with us. That's what Advent is all about. The coming of God to be with His people. And so God offers us hope through drawing near. 
He calls us to repent and He invites us to be reconciled. He draws near. Us drawing near to Him, but ultimately and especially Him drawing near to us. Hope is given through the gift of presence. We must come to the point where we desire to be healed more than we desire to hide our brokenness. And there is healing that is available. There is one and only one who offers hope to the hopeless. May we be numbered among the hopeless. Let's pray.